0: So um, real quickly, it's going I had Brett make the uh, copy, all right, your handout before. I really thought this through. Um, I'm going to the, the uh, major themes of this book are uh, ma- mainly one. And so, so I probably don't need that much. So if you want to use that room for writing notes for other stuff, because uh, a lot of the issues with the Song of Solomon, uh, come in, in some other forms that we're going to talk about that, that people have issues with. So, um, But we will get to the major themes and there will be a good amount of verses that I want to look at there. So, the title uh, is uh, is different in some of your uh, Bibles, right? Some of them say Song of Solomon, some of them say Song of Songs, right? Do you guys have variations? Uh, the Hebrew title uh, literally is Song of Songs or it means the best of Songs. The best of songs. Um, So this means that this song was considered the best of all the songs that Solomon wrote. Um, So many uh, English translations incorporate uh, the rest of the the first verse in there into the title, uh, which is so that says the Song of Solomon, uh, which is helpful um, because uh, especially now because a lot of people. Uh, are are kind of casting doubt on whether or not it was Solomon or not. So it's helpful to have that in there um, in a lot of cases. So uh, it's helpful to understand that Solomon is the author, which we'll talk about in a second. So Song of Songs, the best of songs. Uh, Does anyone know how many songs Solomon wrote? It's in the Bible. It's in 1 Kings 4.32. It says that he wrote 1,005 songs. 1,005 songs. And that doesn't even include the, the, the blatant plagiarism that the birds did with the turn, turn, turn from Ecclesiastes 3, you know? That would be like 1,006. That, that is, I mean, they just ripped off his words completely, called it a song. So maybe 1,006 songs, you count that. Um, but apparently out of all 1,005 songs that Solomon wrote, this one was considered to be the best. The best. So I'm not sure how exactly they got around in ranked songs, but I if they had a like Hebrew Top 40 or something. They had the but, Hebrew Top 40. Yeah, Hebrew Top 40 I show every Casey, week yeah. with Casey Kasem. He's, <laughs> he's probably still around then. Um, <laughs> he's young. He's uh, so, young. So, but this was considered to be the best one. Uh, author. The author is Solomon. Uh, The text clearly demonstrates that Solomon is the author in the first verse, uh, um, which is the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Um, And then there's, uh, I'm going to kind of address the interpretive challenges rather than leaving a spot at the bottom as we go through. Uh, So one of the main interpretive challenges is is that people doubt strongly, that uh, a lot of people doubt strongly that Solomon could write this. Why might they think that? Just from what you know about Solomon. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, he wouldn't have enough time to even write this song, it seems like, between weddings. From, from how many times he was married. Uh, yeah, his, uh, so he had yeah 300-some wives, 700 concubines, um, and and so so that is that's the, that's the main reason why people are like this this probably not the guy. Can couldn't be Solomon. Um, but no one doubts the authorship of that Solomon wrote Proverbs. So uh, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 5 15 through 20. I want to show you this uh, section of Solomon's writing. Proverbs 5 Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So you see, if you, if you read Song of Solomon this week, or, or it, then you, you, you see the similarities there, right? Even the metaphors, uh, a lot of similar metaphors uh, that are actually in the book. And you see right there, Solomon, who fails miserably at that advice in Proverbs 5, 15 through 20, that he's telling his son, uh, still wrote it. He still composed that, so so. Given that, we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily that should not be a reason to doubt the authorship of Song of Solomon. Um, he was the Bible tells us that he was the wisest man who lived to that point, the wisest man who lived to that point. So, uh, Song of Solomon, um, if it is, uh, if it is a historical song, if it's about him truthfully, which people argue. Too, but it would be uh, from his first wife. Um, not in, and we see in First Kings uh, uh, that it talks about um, it, the the first marriage that's recorded of Solomon is is the daughter of Pharaoh. But that doesn't necessarily uh, uh, mean that he, the, he, he that was his first marriage. It's just the first one that we have recorded. So he was wise. Um, and remember. Uh, it, uh, and just remember, understand—it was all the influences of the foreign wives. So as he starts getting married to these women, that's when he starts to fall. Uh, that's what begins corrupting him. Um, he has the same sin nature that all of the other biblical authors have. Um, it's just as present as anyone else's. And and so just discredit just because the end of his life was shambles doesn't mean early on when he's writing Proverbs and, and Song of Solomon. That he that he was. I mean, we're told he was the wisest one up to that point. Um, so, so his sin nature is is still there. The fact, uh, in fact, just as a side note, the fall of Solomon, um, because of who he was, almost more than any other biblical character, points to the need for Christ. Almost more than anyone else we see in the Old Testament. Uh, if you remember the Davidic covenant. Uh, given so so people were expecting uh, the the one uh, uh, the son of David to reign on the eternal throne and Solomon starts out and it looks promising it looks good he he 's granted more wisdom than anyone who had ever lived. Um, the kingdom is at peace um, he 's not going to war, but yet his borders are expanding um, he's, he, all the nations are coming to Israel and be, and marveling at how amazing it is. Um, and, and then, so, so the fact that he was who he was, as wise as he was, and the kingdom was flourishing as much as it was, and then he falls, and greatly falls, and after, after him, the kingdom splits under his son, the kingdom splits, everything goes downhill from there. Uh, so, so after Solomon, then, the question would be, among all the Israelites, if this man isn't the Savior, then if he can't overcome sin... Then, then then, could any man, and can any man do it? And, and the, then the answer would be no, no. They, they find out no, a God-man is what is going to be needed for that. So, so Solomon falling points points to the need for Christ. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't preclude the fact that he could have written uh, the Song of Solomon and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and those types of things. And because of what the Bible says, the truth that the Bible says about Solomon's wisdom Uh, so he knew those things that doesn't mean he was good at following them all that to say so we shouldn't be surprised in the least that early on Solomon couldn't write a beautiful description of God honoring marital love it shouldn't preclude us from thinking that the date the date was 971 to 931 BC Why, why do you give why do I give those dates Yep, those were the 40 years Solomon reigned. Uh, so again, I, I would lean more towards thinking it's, it's 971-ish. Um, and then there's, there's people who question this and, and who try and say it was written way, way later. But that doesn't make sense contextually because if you go through it, like, there's all of these like, metaphors that are, are things that we don't get because a lot of them are talking about stuff that's specific to the land of Israel and in particular, he mentions um, places like Mount Hermon and Tirzah and Shunam and Mount Carmel. And these are all places that would, that would have been in the northern kingdom once Israel split. Um, so, so it wouldn't be, the, the picture is of a unified Israel. There's no, there's no hint of, of Israel having been split at the time. So, so it's, it's very... Um, uh, it, it, it really points to the fact that, that it had to have been during Solomon's reign that it was written because of the, all, all of it was connected. Um, no, the, no one was uh, the, the Northern Kingdom sites as well as Jerusalem and other places in the Southern Kingdom, all part of the description uh, that's given. All right. Purpose. The purpose of the Song of Solomon is this. The marital joy experienced by the man and the woman is celebrated. The marital joy experienced by the man and the woman is celebrated. Is what? Celebrated. The marital joy experienced by the man and the woman is celebrated. and the theme the main theme is romance romance comma uh, god's view of love and marriage romance god's view of love and marriage semicolon the wooing and wedding of the shulamite shepherdess by king solomon Wooing. I love that word. That's great. The wooing, that's W O O I N G, and wedding of the Shulamite shepherdess by King Solomon. The whole thing? Mm -hmm. Romance, comma, God's view of love and marriage, semicolon, the wooing and wedding of the Shulamite shepherdess by King Solomon. Even I gave the punctuation too. Period. At the end, all right. That's because I saw Chuck, yeah. all um, Don't want to. Don't want. To, he's gonna go by and, and with his red pen and look at how you guys wrote everything. After this. Um, all right, so outline. We got some interesting options for outline here. So on your on your sheet, right? Yeah, on your sheet. Um, there's a couple of uh, the. There's the the classic kind of option. Uh, which is 1-1 one, one through 3-5 uh, is the phase of entering into love. 3-6 through 5-1 is the uniting in love, united in love. 5-2 through 8-4 is struggling in love. And 8-5 through eight fourteen is growing in love. And then some people have done the, the like really cl- clever one over there on the side. I don't know who did that initially, but it's kind of popular, too. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, because you've heard that, right? Leave and cleave. The, the, so chapters 1 through 3, leave. Chapters 4 and 5, cleave. And uh, chapters 5 and 8 through 8, weave, which means, like, growing together. That, that same idea, but, but said in, like, a way that, like... It had to be Adrian Rogers who did that. That's just such a name. you guys know who Adrian Rogers no, is? I'm just a Southern Baptist preacher. Um, anyway, he has, he's on the radio sometimes here. Uh, leave, weave, cleave, that would be his thing. Uh, he'd say something like that. But, uh, so, so those are good. But what I want you to see is turn, turn over your page and look at the chiastic structure of Song of Songs. It's awesome. Um, it is complex and it is, it's amazing. Uh, how, how this how this works like this and it's something that you should not feel bad if you've never ever noticed while reading Song of Solomon because it's not like you're like oh that one five through seven that sounds a lot like eight ten through 12 like no because usually when you're reading Song of Solomon you're just kind of embarrassed and you're just trying to get through it and like oh my goodness <laughs> Uh, he's like it comes up in like in your Bible reading. It comes up in like July or something. You're like okay, okay, uh, and and so so. But but it it is good. Good godly men have studied it and and found the chiastic structure, which is very common. And I think Brett brought it out in Ecclesiastes last week too. Very common in wisdom literature, in poetry, in the Psalms. Uh, to see uh, things like this, and to see, because this is how. So he explained it. Do I want to explain it again? The chiastic structure, the way Hebrews um, looked at things looked at things a lot. The way their writing was was not to um, put the main point at the bottom, like we always like to do, build to the main point, but rather to like make it like a mountain, like like the front, like like every all the verses lead up one way to the main point and then come back down the other side, and it's supposed to be like kind of looking in a mirror or reflection. You're supposed to see both of these things. Um, it's, and it's really, so if you just, if nothing else tonight, if you read the Song of Solomon with this in mind, and you compare as you're going through the mirrors to the part before the wedding and the part after the wedding, it's really cool. Uh, it's very helpful. Um, so, uh, so, so the central point then you see is, is right there, uh, and the K, the L is the, is the, the marriage and the, the wedding night, the wedding and the wedding night. Um, and, and so I just want to show you this to dispel the, there's a lot of people also who think that Song of Solomon is just kind of a, a collection of love poems, and we should just read it the same way we read Proverbs. But, but this, I, I just, this clearly shows it's a singular one piece that, that all fits together. All right, so, um, so, so you, you can, I mean, hopefully you can see the structure demands that you see it that way. Uh, it just, just does. Uh, and you go home and study it for yourself. I know you don't want to read it again. But go home and, and, and do that, and, and it, it's amazing how it comes alive. Um, uh, one quick note I wanted to, I wanted to point out uh, before we go any farther is uh, the interpretation um, uh, on interpretation, is, is the little parts in your Bible that say, oh, they're different, all of, all of the translation do. But like ESV says she, others, he, and then some of them say, what does what some of the other ones say? Um, uh,
1: beloved. Uh, beloved. What? Beloved,
0: beloved mm-hmm. my love, friends. friends. Yeah, so those are um, the, the places where it, 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 those aren't in the original text right? The, where it says she, others, she. Uh, if you could read Hebrew, um, then what, what happens when you're reading Hebrew is it it identifies uh, gender and number just with the words. So you know if it's plural or singular just by um, the endings on each word and who it's addressed to and, and which verbs go to which people. Uh, we don't have that so much. Um, so the, uh, the, 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 the English translators put this in here since it's part of not being able to read Hebrew so that we can kind of see where, when, when the, the person who's speaking is, is changing. Um, but that's not in there originally. But you are intended to, that's not to say you're not intended to, you are intended to be able to tell that. You're supposed to be able to tell that, but since we don't um, read or speak Hebrew, we can't without these, uh, without these helpful little hearts um, here. That, all that to say, all your Bibles have them divided up differently. Uh, because there's a lot of places where they're like, ah, this is actually more, uh, this, this probably actually is uh, Solomon speaking and not the others. It's probably, not, not all, like for the most part there's a consensus of it. But in some of them uh, you'll notice that they uh, that, that they're, they're a little different um, based on whoever's doing the the translate, uh, But for the most part, it, it, it's like that. So the only real way to, to, to get an idea for yourself would be to learn Hebrew. Um, and, then, and then you have to tell people, I'm learning Hebrew so I can read Song of Solomon better. No one wants to do that. I feel like I'm bagging on this book a lot. Um, I, I want you to know that I was not excited about doing this and I, it's one of the books I've studied the least in, in my life. I have no commentaries on it, um, but studying it was super rewarding for me. And I, I, I not worth the kidney stone, but <laughs> but but it was. I am I'm really glad that I got the chance to 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 really look at this and study this, um, because I had I did have an attitude about it as just a. Okay, fine, you know, I, I kind of understand. Love is good. There, next book. Um, but but this, is, uh, this, this, is, this is a really good and important book, and I think it's important in our day and time, um, especially. All right, so, so uh, some of the other interpretive problems I want to talk about is, is there's a disagreement. This is where all of the controversy over Song of Solomon is, is the genre and how we're supposed to read it. So the genre, uh, most it's, it's been accepted as wisdom literature for a really really long time, and then recently uh, there, a lot of liberal scholarship has tried to say no, it's a it was kind of a drum, dramatic play that was written, and that people were like as a play and just the idea that a book in the Bible is written as just like a make believe play, that's that's just not comforting, but that's what they want to do with it. Um, more uh, more recently, and I, and not. I, but more recently it's kind of shifted the view of it has shifted from wisdom literature to love poetry as we've discovered some uh, a lot of like Egyptian texts and um and stuff from not really the same era but right right around that time that that look that 's love poetry and you can see that Song of Solomon kind of fits into the the genre of love poetry that all that to say um like, the, the stuff that we have from Egyptian culture that's considered love poetry, Song of Solomon is just, I, like, when you compare them together, it's just obvious that, that, that one has the breath of God in it, and the other one's just men talking. And especially when you look at the structure, like, that's the complex structure, um... But so so wisdom literature, love poetry—that that's where we want to go. Not the not the drama. Not this is a make-believe story sort of thing. Um, the the other the, the other main, main the, the really big issue um, that and I might get some people who struggle with this uh, because this was big in the '60s. Um, a huge way of interpreting the Song of Solomon in '60s '70s was as an allegorical or typological. Um, uh, interpretation, uh, the idea that what, what we're seeing here is that the, the woman, the bride, represents Israel, or the church, and Solomon represents God, or Jesus. And that's what was taught by, by a lot of different people for a long time. Um, it, it's, it's very popular throughout a lot of Christian history, um, and I'm guessing a lot of you have heard it taught that way before. Um, uh, but there's, there's, a, a, there's a lot of issues with that. Um, and first of all, it's just not, that's not apparent at all in the, just in the natural reading of the text. If you're just picking it up and reading it, you're not going to think that. Uh, you're, you're not. Um, uh, other other reasons are is that uh, the the fact that uh, the, the woman who's supposed to represent Israel is the one who speaks way more. In fact, 32 of the first 39 verses is the woman speaking um, and not Solomon. Uh, and and if, if, if it's God, if it's the, it shouldn't be that way if, it's, if one represents God and one represents Israel. Um, also, this would be then the only place in the Old Testament that portrays the nation of Israel um, as pursuing God to be, be the only place. There's no every other place. It's, Israel is, um, it has a, something that happens, they fall away. They make an effort, then they fall away. They make an effort, then they... Like, that's the reason for Christ. Is that You see, you know, we're supposed, one of the things we're supposed to see in the Old Testament is failure, 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 failure. You can't live up to the standards of the law. You can't do it. That's why you need Christ. This would be the. This would go against the rest of Scripture, if if the words of the woman are supposed to be Israel, or it's, yeah, are supposed to be Israel. That 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 doesn't work. Um, uh, that's not how Israel is portrayed anywhere, as being the pursuer of Christ. Uh, so so that that was a really popular. And there's books on that, and there's stu- stuff like that, and and. Uh, You you can find a lot of that, but but it just um, and it what it comes down to is essentially people like trying to take a book that makes them uncomfortable and thinking, oh, God wouldn't be like this or say stuff like this. And um, even though God did invent sex, He did that that was His idea. um, They 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 take it and they're like, ah, we don't want to. It just doesn't seem like that should be there. This isn't a gaudy, godlike type of thing we want to be talking about. Uh, I think that's mainly what it comes down to. So uh, allegorical, typological, interpretation, uh, I, that, that's not a right interpretation. Um, so that, that, but that's a popular way to do it. There's a few others that have uh, just i kind of touched on it a second ago. The second one, a dramatic interpretation that sees it as a play with two or three characters um, playing it out. That's kind of a, a, li- a liberal one. Uh, there's a historical interpretation, which is, I think, is kind of accurate, uh, which is the, the Solomon um, essentially um, talking about his his first experience in, in love, his first uh, his first wife, that he surely forgot. Think how bad you know all the nice stuff she says. Think how bad she felt like 20 years after that. That's sad. Um, anyway, uh, so historical, the real story of Solomon's first marriage. Uh, there's, a, there's a, and, and now we're going to get into some more liberal views that are, uh, it's a cultic, there's a, a cultic interpretation of it. Like it was like a chant that the Israelites sang or that people sang or said before like a wedding or something like that. Um, there's one view that, that holds that it's a funerary. Meaning that you did it at funerals. You read Song of Solomon at funerals. They connected it to 8-6 to try and make it joyful. How embarrassing would that be? Right? It's a funeral. I'm at, like, getting up and reading Song of... Think, think of some of the stuff you read in Song of Solomon and reading that at a funeral for your grandma or something. That just... That, that's, that's, that's terrible. Um, yeah. Or leave that. Just... Just do that to someone, I like leave that in instructions for your will. When I die, I want my son to read Song of Solomon out loud at the funeral. Um, okay, so, so there's that. Uh, there's the, the idea that it's a, a song, uh, or it's a collection, the, the idea that it's a collection of songs that would be sung, different ones for different events. Uh, like at a wedding or something like that. Again, I, I think that, that it presents well as a unified whole. Um, and then the last one, uh, what I think the, the right interpretation is that it is a love song. One singular song, not a collection. Um, uh, historical, true, uh, but a love song nonetheless. Uh, and, that's, and I think that's where most... Uh, in case you think I'm going out on a limb, that's that's where most uh, conservative scholars camp on. That's where they that's what they believe. Uh, just just so you're not just thinking I'm out of my mind or something. Um, but uh, with that said, though, I want to I want to also talk about the fact that uh, th- there's a variation of this right interpretation um, that that I think needs to be avoided uh, because uh, the song uses just a ton of metaphors um, and and while it does clearly have to do uh, with sexual love and marriage, uh, it is not, while interpreting or teaching from this, it is not an excuse for Christians to violate Ephesians 4.29 and verses like that about no corrupting talk, no unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth. When I was in seminary, uh, when I first started at seminary, there is this pastor in Seattle uh, named Mark Driscoll. I don't know how many of you have heard of him. Um, But there's like at Southern, there was like a dividing kind of a delight because he was uh, he was reformed. But he he had a history of just saying stuff that was like a little bit on the edge, a little like almost crude, um, bordering on cussing, even maybe some some curse words in, in some of the stuff he said. And it, there's this just, but, but it, you know, he'd say a lot of stuff that was good too. And so there's this dividing line at Southern uh, Seminary about half, they were about split on this, about people who thought he was great and people who had a lot of issues with him. Um, and I was kind of up in the air about him and I, I had some of his books and I'd read and, I, and I'd heard some of his sermons that, I, that I'd really Thought were were pretty good, Um, and then I heard other stuff that I was like, Um, "I hope that was you know young Mark Driscoll." Um, But he came out uh, with uh, about a few years a few years ago, um, or a few years into my seminary, uh, he came out with a sermon series on the Song of Solomon, and and he wrote a subsequent book on marriage, and. It, he he used language that was so crass and so vulgar. Um, and there was all kinds of news programs. I saw him on several different news programs promoting his book. And the reason the news programs were, were loving it is because um, what it was doing was it, it, he was like trying to show, or he was trying to show it seemed like that Christian's ideas of, of sexuality isn't, isn't that far from the rest of yours. Right? Like he's almost trying to bring it in. The point... Um, when the point of Song of Solomon is to counter the world's understanding of love and show them the love that God intended for in marriage, and it's drastically different than the world's understanding of love, and there's no way, no way that we should do what he was doing, which is taking this book and trying to show the world that we're, look, we're kind of like you guys. Look at this. We just believe in marriage, but we still, believe. it is it horrible. Um, and and there's been other people who have tried to do that that same type of thing, um, but the song of Solomon, uh, it, and that, I think that was like his last like that. And then after that, it pretty much everyone was like, well, okay, uh, that are and then he then he really fell off the edge uh, when he he went to the Strange Fire Conference and got caught lying on camera. Um, now he, he was he wasn't a speaker at the Strange Fire Conference. I mean, make sure. Travis organized that conference. Oh, he, he did not get him there. Uh, he just kind of showed up there and started causing trouble and got caught lying on camera, and then he was done. Uh, but I think he's popped back up in Arizona or something. Anyway, don't, don't listen to him. Uh, Song of Solomon is a demonstration of God's view of love and sex that the world has taken and totally perverted. It's not us trying to trying to say, hey, look, world, like reaching out an olive branch to them or something. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right, now we'll talk about major themes. So there's really one major theme, and it's love. Uh, <laughs> and, and specifically, I want to look at the terms, my love, when, he's, when uh, Solomon says, my love, and uh, the Shulamite responds by calling him, uh, Uh, His or her beloved, Um, so so my love is the term that Sol. If you've noticed in there, it's the term that Solomon uses all the time to talk about her, and beloved is the term that she uses to talk about him. Uh, He uses the term uh, my love, uh, which some. Does some of your translations say darling? Because that's terrible. That's like such a English word. I think some of them say that. It's like an English word that just came about in the last 50 years or so that they they threw in there. Um, that's not That's not something, it's, my love is a, is a better interpretation. Um, and then, so nine times by him, and beloved is used, uh, depending on what you're looking at, 24 to 27 times by by the woman. Um, so so I'll, we'll look at a few, I mean, there's so many used, we're not gonna go through all of them, but just a few of them, uh, just so you can see it. Um, and one nine, so in one nine, that's the first first time we see um, Solomon talking, uh, and, or in the first time we see him, I, he says, "I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots." That's a compliment, right? Uh, it's a, it's a, he's, he's saying, that, "No, you need to know this. It's not. It's Pharaoh's chariots." So it's. A mare is a female horse, so the idea is like how a female horse would be received by a bunch of male horses leading chariots. Like, going to get all the attention sort of thing. Not, he's not saying... Like he's basically, you stick out from the rest. You, he's not saying you look like a horse. It's not, it's not that. Which it's kind of like that, but not that. Like there's other stuff. Like don't go. Like do some of this stuff like you're beautiful, my love. If you're going to say something to your spouse, you're beautiful, my love. One of those things. Fairest among all. Lily. Don't say you look like a horse.
1: Uh, yeah. All right. Um, uh, <laughs> Your hair is like a
0: flock of goats. Hair is like a flock of goats. You might want to not use that one. That's not the prettiest. But uh, for them, you know, that's, they don't have all of the, like, there's only so much visuals, so many visuals they have. Uh, I've never actually seen a foot. Fl- Have you ever seen a flock of goats, Chuck? Maybe it's beautiful. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> uh, no, no. See, I haven't either. Coming down from a mountain, maybe it's a gorgeous thing to some people. I don't know. One um, thirteen through fourteen is the next is the place where where we see uh, her say beloved. Like looking thirteen and fourteen, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms. Don't know what those are either in the vineyards of Engedi, apparently, I actually looked that up. Henna blossoms were a type of flower that was used for perfume. A lot of stuff in this was used for perfume, if that helps. Um, uh, But but again, here she's saying uh, when she's talking about that is the the closeness with which she holds him. right? The closeness with which he holds him. It's actually interesting because it's uh, that, if you look at the mirror passage in in eight six, um, oops. Like if okay, keeping the chiastic structure in, in mind, eight six, you see uh, her saying to Solomon a similar thing: "Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your own." that, that same kind of idea of closeness to the heart. That, 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 I that mean, that's kind of cool that's pretty cool stuff uh, a few more verses that one fifteen um, if you look at one fifteen be, behold you are beautiful, my love, behold you are beautiful, your eyes are doves. that's maybe a better thing to say if you're going to use any of his compliments um, you, you can't that that's a that's a guy one right there you're beautiful, my love, you're beautiful. i say the same thing twice it's good um your eyes are doves, though. We wouldn't think of that. Uh, he, beautiful is actually used uh, over ten times. Um, doves, you know, right? Because they, they, they still represent love, right? Don't they? Doves, doves represent love. Uh, so he sees love in her eyes. Um, one sixteen. I want to explain this one. Uh, Behold, you are beautiful, my, be- my beloved. Truly divine and delightful. Our couch is green. <laughs> The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. Uh, this is describing like an, like an outdoor kind of an outdoor kind of scene that they're in. Like the idea that they then when they meet together outdoors, the, they're under like some sort of security, uh, safety. The couch can oh, what is it? Couch can be interpreted some other way. I think I, I I'm not sure if I wrote it down or not. Um. Oh yeah, it can also mean maybe your translation. It can also mean uh, the king's realm or his realm, not just, not just couch. I was, I was reading that in my translation, I don't remember this. It sounds like HGTV. It sounds like they went straight into a interior decorating thing. I don't get it, but uh, it was powerful for them. Uh, but when you when you look at that more and you the understanding of how they feel uh, when they're together. Um, uh, look at two uh, two, uh, in two two, uh, he calls her my love again. He says, "As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women," um, meaning that like she sticks out, like like she's a flower and everyone else is thorns, sort of thing. And that's actually a response to when she calls herself a lily of the valleys, and 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 he says, "Oh, not just that, a lily among brambles." I see he's going on. Yeah, Wayne?
1: Yeah, uh,
0: don't ask questions. I meant to say that. I don't want to <laughs> answer questions. <laughs> <Just> go
1: go. ahead. <laughs> uh, it was kind of fair commenting on there at the end of one, uh, that, that there are actually three different kinds of emphasis that are used as a literary device in here. Mm. Um, one is what you see in... Uh, 15 and 16, where you've got a triplet of the statement of you are beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, in Hebrew, the repetition of the exact same phrase actually magnifies that phrase to the degree of how many ever times it's repeated, with three or seven denoting completeness or perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is uh, just kind of hanging on. a uh, Reminder from the literary structure you referred to earlier, right? The reflection of some of these phrases later in the book yeah. is a magnification of the first time that it appears. In yeah, the
0: book. and a and a and a and a perfection of it, like as we see it, like a almost a, yeah, yeah. And it, I that's good. Do you, you everyone understand what a triplet is? That's another good thing to understand in Hebrew poetry. Um, I, I think we've talked about that before, but yeah, uh, that, that that's a, a way of emphasizing that's what they did. And seven, and that reminds me of another thing about the author thing. So a lot of people think I meant to say this too, because of um, uh, they, another study you could do, which we, there's a lot of uh, places where you can see like a tenfold complement or a sevenfold or a threefold, if you go through and, and want to figure that out. Um, but uh, the author uses numbers a lot. Um, and uh, so people who, who want to say Solomon didn't write it try and say that that first verse was added in later. Um, but if you take Solomon out of the first verse, the word Solomon, then his name appears six times. And when it's in there, it's seven. So it's, it's the idea of, of completion. So that's another thing that points to Solomon as the author. Anyway, thanks for reminding me of that and pointing out triplets. Um, and not asking a question. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, two uh, eight through sixteen, I, we we don't have to read all of that, uh, but it's uh, but that, that's almost like like the proposal. Uh, we see uh, uh, we see him t- kind of talking about how the the waiting the time of waiting is over. Um, there's a section uh, that talks about probably the the part that every that, that gets preached on the most when it talks about catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. Uh vineyards, gardens, those are that's that's a that's a very common metaphor um for 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 their bodies. Um and and so the the idea is in that section is there's little things uh, that, can, that can get between us or that can ruin this, this perfect love, we need to deal with those. Uh, and, and in this case, it would be deal with those uh, quickly um, or ahead of time. Uh, so, so there's that. In verse 16, I wanted to especially point out 16, uh, where she says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. Um, he grazes among the lilies. Uh, but that, that first part, My beloved is mine, and I am his. Uh, just because that, that phrase that's repeated in a similar way in two other places, um, and, and just kind of pointing to a monogamous commitment, like like possession of each other, like ownership of each other. I am mine, uh, or he is mine, and I am his. Uh, also, if you just quickly look up, go to six three, uh, you see the next place. Where it, says, where it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. What's the difference there between 16 and 3? 2.16 and 6.3. Do you see it? Well, it's reversed. It's reversed, yeah. it's reversed, yeah. So so it's reversed. So first, she starts out talking about uh, how, how, like, what's most important is that he is is as hers and then it goes to um, what's most important is that I am his and then if you look at the last place where it is in 710 says I am my beloved's and his desire is for me and so where she's completely out of it so, so there's like a progression there again with the triplets uh, you see, and it's kind of a progression, an, an uh, emphatic progression showing uh, where love goes from the place where it's what's most important is that, that, that he's mine to what's most important is I'm his, but he's still also mine to the, the important thing is that I'm his and that his desire is for me. Um, so, so that that's another interesting little thing to see uh, the, the building of that and just uh, how all three of those verses indicate monogamous commitment ownership possession between the two um, uh, let's see um, let's see I don't want to go through all these three one through four uh, is another place where, where she talks about him um, I, I do want to point out that because that kind of that Kind of indicates maybe like you, you could read that and be like that. Almost sounds like like some premarital relations might be happening there. Um, but but notice in in at the very beginning, in the very first thing in, in one is she says on my bed by night, I saw so so the idea and I saw him whom my soul loved. So the idea is she's in bed already and seeking him, that he's not there, right? So, so the, the, the best understanding of this is that, that she's dreaming, uh, this part. And this, uh, th- this part three, one through four is best understood as a dream and then there's a mirror part of it that, that is when, when you get to the um, back end that actually did maybe happen or part of their struggles together, part of the time where they were struggling and when you, if you wanted to look at that other outline. Um, four one is uh, so. Maybe I uh, let's let's talk a little bit about this too because I want you to notice. I want you to notice that it builds uh, like the very beginning stuff, the first uh, three chapters. That's uh, you know, there's some uncomfortable stuff in there to read, and you're like, that's it's a little uh, lovey-dovey for me, and it's it's even. Um, sounds maybe a little bit explicit in some areas, but um, it is it is not uh, it is not indicating any kind of sex acts at that point. Not it's not, and I'll talk. I'll show you why in just a second. Um, if you look at your your chiastic structure outline and it works its way down, you see that the wedding is actually happening in four and five, chapter four, and then. Um, the the uh, consummation of the wedding happens in there at the end of four, or beginning of five. Um, so so up until that point, it's not. And, and we can see that. Um, my, first of all, we see four one is when Solomon is is arriving. Um, he he's arriving, uh, or well, is when he's speaking. He's arriving in the at the end of three, and he starts speaking in four. Uh, on, and this is t- taken as like the wedding day that he, he's speaking there. This is the first part in 4.8. Uh, this is the first place where he uh, uses the, the word bride and he uses it six times after that. He doesn't use it before. He just uses it then. Um, and I want you to see down at, if you're keeping in check with uh, metaphors and the garden metaphor. When he's talking on their wedding day in verse 12 of chapter 4, he says... A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. All right? So I'm, I really don't want to have to explain that. Um, <laughs> but but it's, hopefully you get that. If you've been reading it, you understand what, what those metaphors are, are pointing to and pointing at. And, and, and he's clearly saying there nothing has happened. Look how uncomfortable I made Wayne. uh, <laughs> uh He's clearly saying nothing has happened yet. Nothing has happened up to this point. Uh, She's still a garden locked. By the way, my my sister, my bride, that's not, uh, uh, it doesn't mean that Solomon married his sister. That was a term of like, of of like close connection. I like, I almost like we use it today to talk about uh, brothers and sisters in the church a little bit. Um, It's it's an understanding of close connection. So he's not marrying his sister. Um... uh, so there he's arriving, and then there's a bunch of other places, right? There's a bunch of other places you can, you can look up where they say, my love and beloved, and where they talk about love. You can see that everywhere. Um, uh, those are just some of the places I wanted to point out. Didn't, not all of them I wanted to, but I felt like I should. Um, uh, another, another major theme, another major theme is um, uh, the Daughters of Jerusalem, uh, which is, uh, that term is brought up four times. Uh, it, it, really, the first one is the major theme, and the other ones are the kind of major themes. Okay? Like it's, it's really tough to say any of these other ones are, are, are as major as the first one. Um, but it, I, I want you to see this, too, because this is important. Okay, so Daughters of Jerusalem, that phrase is brought up um, four times, um, the, it's brought up in 27 and 35, five, uh, in five eight and in eight four. Um, and five eight is not the is not the same. It's a little bit different use of it. Um, but uh, but I want you to see the the exact the, the similar phrasing in two seven, three five, and eight four. So uh, look at two seven, where she says. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And then in 3 5, she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And in 8 4, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Uh, now, 5.8, again, is uh, like, why would they, why would she say it again in 5.8? And not use, uh, not, like 5.8 says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. So that's during the part where, where they're separated uh, after the marriage. Uh, not like divorce separated, but like they're longing for each other as they're apart. Um, why wouldn't, and Wayne gave it away, why wouldn't, why, why would they not emphasize it there in 5.8 and only do it in the other three times? Because they want three. Yeah, because they want three. So, so it's showing an, an important point. Uh, it, it points out again the fact that th- this phrase, um, do not stir up love until it pleases, or uh, if you have an HCSB or some other ones, it says until uh, the appropriate time. The, the idea is, is chastity, right? It, which is like, you read Song of Solomon, and you're like, what? That's not what Song of Solomon's about. But it is, it's a main point. It's a, it's, it's, it, it is emphasizing overall marital love and, 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 and the, the closeness and what it should look like and the way the husband and the bride should see each other it is emphasizing that, but but it is warning um, it, it, it does go out of its way to make sure you know it this is not just a hormones gone crazy kind of thing this isn't and it 's not Romeo and Juliet type of, it's not this is love that 's under control it 's under control so 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 see that notice that the, the, why that might be in there and why it 's like that. Um, it 's not an accident that it 's in there three times like that um, so another we won 't go through all these but but clearly you saw the the garden uh, that 's a uh, garden garden metaphors gardening vineyards uh, those types of things um, almost never actually referring to gardening uh, but but those are the, those are in there a lot. Um, uh, the king or Solomon, like I said, Solomon is mentioned seven times, his name is seven times and then another four references to, to the king. Uh, so, so those are some other things that, that are in there quite a bit. I've gone for an hour, I didn't think this would go that long. Um, uh, and some other things that I want to then show you and point out also, because uh, usually we take a lot of time on the major themes, but right, you guys got the major theme, right? We don't have to, okay. Um, Eight, eight, six through seven is, I think, important to point out to you because a lot of people uh, consider that little passage um, as the... I saw this in several uh, study notes. They, they said this is like the First Corinthians 13 of the Old Testament. Um, and you can kind of see it in there, right? Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Um, so, and this would, by the way, be more appropriate to read that at a wedding than 1 Corinthians 13, which is an, is an admonition for loving everyone. That way, this is a little more specific. Just in case you, you wanted to do that for your wedding, um, I won't. If you read First Corinthians thirteen at your wedding, I'll be secretly groaning. Um, it's a good passage, but it's just should no, that's about the, how we're supposed to love each other. Love each other as a church. All right. Um, sorry. So, so you see, like at least at least four things in this little in this little set of verses in these two verses. Uh, about love. We see that, that love uh, is, is, is as uh, like it, the comparison to death isn't meant to be morbid, um, but it, the, like the power that it has. The same power that death has over life, that's the type of power that, that love is supposed to have. That's the type of strength it's supposed to have. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's as intense as fire, as the flame of the Lord. This is the, where the Lord's name is, is mentioned in here in this passage. So it's going of the, the flame of the Lord, the fire of the Lord, when, when God appears to Israel as, as a flame, as a fire. So there's, a, there's an implication of, of uh, comparing it or connecting it to the glory of God, the glory of the Lord. Um, and then we see uh, waters can't quench it, floods can't drown it. It's, it the idea is it's, it is, um, it's supposed to be, Invincible. It's supposed to be unquenchable, Um, and all the wealth of his house. uh, If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Meaning, it's it's priceless. It's something that can't be bought. You see, all of those things. Just a powerful look at what love, and in this context specifically, marital love, is supposed to look like. Right. So, 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 so that that's that's. The stuff that I, I really think that I really want you to see is important. Um, I, 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 had, I added a last section on because because this is a common question: is why um, why do we even have like? Hopefully, this is understood a little better now after that. If I did a decent job there, but but why why do we need it? Why is this even in the scripture? A lot of people ask that. Um, why why do we need this in there or or, or how would things be different uh, for us if this was just not in the scripture at all? All right. So, so what we see in it is um, a celebration of marital love that we don't see anywhere else. So I do. I want you to make sure you make take the little structure home. Understand that it, this is definitely talking about marriage, about what love is supposed to look like in. Marriage um, and when when the consummation of marriage is supposed to happen, all of that is is clearly in here um, it, 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 it using um, vivid pictures it does it, it points to the sanctity of a monogamous marriage more than almost anywhere else in the Bible that you that you can imagine it's it, it vividly pictures it, uh, the sanctity of marriage, the the, the monogamy of marriage. Um, it, it reminds us in a way. So, so we're told in other places that, that marriage is a gift, right? That it's a gift from the Lord that, that shouldn't be despised. Um, but here, we're, we're we're shown like like in bright colors that, that it, this is a it's a wonderful gift. Uh, it is one of the it's it's one of the greatest gifts that God can give. Not the greatest, a relationship with Him is the greatest, and marriage isn't as Paul demonstrated, isn't necessary, but it is it's a, it is a wonderful gift and it's one of the greatest gifts. And, and just the fact that there's a whole book of the Bible that's overall purpose, think about this, the overall purpose of this book isn't necessarily uh, isn't pri- I shouldn't say necessary. Isn't primarily about God or His character. Um, it, there, there's not another book where you can where you can say that. If you go back through your Route 66 study and look at all the the, the purpose statements for all of them, um, uh, this one it, it is about God, but it's about God's view on this one subject. It should help us to see just how important marriage is, and and some. And then, and subsequently, then it should show us how important it is for protect to, to protect this view of it, to protect this view of it. It should cause you to ask you questions that that like like okay, what is, um, you know, what, what is getting in the way of me seeing my spouse like this, right? What, what am, Maybe you know, what's what's in the way? I, mean, I need to stop focusing on so many brambles. And see, just look at the lily. What's the deal? What's your issue? Why? What, what's standing in the way of viewing your spouse like this? Um, also, having a clear understanding of Song of Song, Song of Solomon, helps us to better understand passages like uh, 1 Corinthians seven three through five, where 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 Paul lays out the mandate. If, if you're married, um, uh, that your your body doesn't belong to your wife. And and your wife's body does or your, your body belongs to your wife and your wife's body belongs to you It's not just yours anymore And and he just makes that statement really quick And so a lot of people get a, are offended by that when they hear that the first time But then you you pick if you picture that in here If you look to this and, and you hear that verse in the context of this you're like, oh, yeah that makes a lot of sense. That is, that's right on. I can see that now. And it helps us better understand. Turn, turn to Hebrews 13.4. Since we have tons of time. Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So, so a verse like that, it gives it gives just so much more color to, right? It, it helps us to, like, this is, of course, of course it should be honored. Of course it should be um, held in honor among all. Of course the marriage bed needs to be undefiled because of because of this because of what we read um, under an understanding of this it, it, it's something a better understanding of of god 's view of marriage is something we just desperately need in this culture I mean, they need to they need to know they need to see that when when like we get drawn into seeing their movies the world 's movies that that depict love and romance and stuff and even maybe we even cry or weep because we see glimpses, glimpses of this, right? We see, we may cry in one of those movies because we see just the tiniest bits of, of, what, of what it's supposed to be. Um, it's, it's a shallow, uh, sad kernel of what God intended it to be when you look at Song of Solomon and what it means for, for these two people uh, to, to come together and to be one and to, and to love like this um, we live in a culture that that hates the biblical understanding about marriages, um, and in fact, if if we had a better understanding of this, when no fault divorce became an issue back decades ago, that, I, that it, we would have had, we'd have been better equipped equipped to fight it, the, the fact that churches, churches have let that just sweep through to the point that that's not even, like, now, the, now the front right now is, is gay marriage, and the reason why is because we've just kind of, okay, we've lost that one, we lost the divorce thing, um, boy, if, if we could recapture this view, if the world could see this in us, and in, in our marriages, there would be something attractive about it to them, but also repulsive. The, the monogamous commitment is not... I, get, had we, I am firmly convinced that if divorce weren't a thing uh, now, if divorce was morally reprehensible, um, uh, the homosexuals wouldn't want any part. They wouldn't be battling to be married. They wouldn't want that. Well, I don't, want to, I don't want to be locked into a commitment for the rest of my life. They only want it because it's, it's still, it can be seen as temporary in nature now. It doesn't have to be seen the same way. And there's legal benefits. And there's legal benefits. Um, if it wasn't for those things, uh, that's why having a better understanding of this book, an understanding of God's view of love and marriage, um, is very necessary. It's very necessary for us as we go about in this culture where marriage is, no, no one gets it. And even Christians are uh, struggling, letting, like just like Travis is always illustrating. It's, it's the culture we live in. It's the air we breathe like a fish in water doesn't know it's wet. We've let so much of this stuff sneak into our views um, that, that we don't even know it. So we need it to get back to it. All right. Does anyone have any comments? No no <laughs> or things that, no yeah, or things that they've noticed. All right, if you have a question, I can maybe try and defer it to Mark. It's fine. Not a question. Okay.
2: I think it's important to describe your love for your spouse not only for you to Dwell on how deep your love is, and if you don't use descriptive words, you're not going to think about it very long. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I've talked to a lot of people who don't even know how to express their feelings with words because they don't go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then it's also, of course, she made it very clear, um, very important for the spouse to hear those descriptive words. And it's not just a woman thing. A man needs to hear why you love him, and why deep, your love is so deep for him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it helps bond. And then um, one other comment that, um, in that one section where she mentioned he's not looking after other women, well, he doesn't have the deep love if he's looking after other women all the time. Mm-hmm. So he, he needs to
0: stay yeah. focused. Yeah, the point is like like you're supposed to read this and be like, "That's how I want to see my spouse. Mm-hmm. That's how I want us to see each other." So if it's not, if we're not seeing each other like that, what are the reasons? What are the reasons for it? We're not goat herders. <laughs> We've never seen the beauty of a flock of goats, we so we seen, can't. Don't, don't know that. He's got
1: nothing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so if the beauty, are, you're saying that. I know that um, expresses how deep the love is. How the heck do you go and marry 700
1: other women?
0: Because he's a sinner.
1: <laughs> so doesn't that kind of like substantiate <clears throat> the fact that marriage and love takes constant dedication and work? Oh yeah,
2: and good.
0: At some point he will let it go.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So it's just it's it's not enough. So so using Song of Solomon and then Solomon's life help you realize that it's not enough for just eight chapters of this in your marriage. It's got to be constant and steady.
2: Well, it does sound like you had a song for each one, though. You have seven and three, and then yeah. you have a thousand songs. So. Hey, that's, yeah. <laughs> I wonder <if> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I think as I'm listening and reading this, I'm noticing that these nice comments are very good to say. So I'm wondering from the pulpit when you said, it was your wife's birthday, and she got even more beautiful this year. How'd that go for you? She like that? <laughs> <laughs> she was embarrassed by that. That's but, a very song esque. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. You should write a song about her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that was actually before I read this. Oh, now I've got all kinds of descriptions. Wait till announcements this Sunday. <laughs> no,
1: no, I'm not going
0: to be here this Sunday. It's a high bar for Brett now. <laughs>
1: Did you ever, I think Travis has taught us a little bit that, uh, you know, biblical language is extremely important in mm-hmm. everything that we do. And we ask the question sometimes, why is, why is this book of the Bible in the, book, in the Bible, yeah. you know? And I think that this, with the, if we don't fill our hearts and our minds and our, and our, our mouths with the words of the Bible, we'll, the, we'll fill them with the words of the world. Mm. And so I think it makes it makes it very valuable, and very important. That's and, great. And uh, Kate's teeth are a lot like sheep. Not once, not A full
2: flock. There you
0: go. Oh, look, it worked. She's happy.
2: <laughs>
0: it's one of the
1: verses. It says that. All right. Anyone else? I don't know. Anything else? one thing I noticed is, you know. In the Bible adultery and sexual promiscuity are equated with our uh, going after other gods and all that and and it's and all of that is so talked about so much because men men people do that wrong so much it's neat to see it done right at one place and the contrast is huge mm-hmm. between. Doing it wrong and doing it right. Yeah. And I I like that about Song of Solomon because it does have that contrast that that it is a gift that God has given to men and women and it is to be celebrated and it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's like,
0: it's counter, again, counter to a culture which teaches that that the exciting thing is the thing that's kind of wrong, kind of risky. That's the exciting, that's what the exciting love stuff is. Um, the you know the first parts of a adulterous affair or something like that, and and that that's not what this is like it's better to be to to constrain yourself until the appropriate time, and it's better that way and with one person. Mm-hmm. Well else? Yes, mother. <laughs> um, I've seen books
2: about that. This is an allegory between. God, of the church,
0: and Christ, or God, and Were you not here for the Hitler. beginning? No, no, I was back with the Iwana. Ah, uh, okay. So, you were listening to of verses? Yeah. And they didn't cover that one? No. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> if you did, it, never mind.
0: I'm sorry. No, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll retell it to you afterwards. <laughs>
1: Anyone else?
2: I think, can I just say, mm-hmm. I think, too, that it's good because... Even within a marriage, that outside world can influence how you think excitement should be or not be. Yeah. And I think as, as we're training younger women, you know, there's, there's so many self-help books out there that are not Christian that can really skew
0: your marriage if you're not mm-hmm. looking at Solomon There's so many Christian marriage books, Yeah. Christian marriage books that can, I, boy, the stuff I got for our wedding from Christian authors. That I read that was so unbiblical, which might have been by, from some of you guys. Actually, you are at my wedding for a lot of <laughs> Maybe I should stop talking.
2: Um,
0: but yeah, so it, it's counted, not just to the world, but yeah, to to again like doing to a lesser degree what I'd said, but I said that saw Mark Driscoll doing. Like, let's how can we make this marriage thing, this monogamy thing, appeal to the world right? rather than. Uh, the other way around. That's, yeah, it's, that's bad. Anyone else? All right. I will close in prayer. And then we'll have like 10 minutes. 10 minutes for you guys to sit in awkward silence <laughs> or talk about what you learned. All right. Dear God, thank you so much um, for this time. I, we do thank you so much for this book. Um, Thank you that you included it in here, Uh, that that uh, to to help us avoid confusion of what you want from us, of what 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 marriage should be like, uh, what love in marriage should look like, um, the uh, the appropriate use of sex, um, all of those things. uh, God, that you've given that to us. So uh, on the other hand, on the other side of that, so that we're not. and the world is not without excuse when they uh, sin against it I pray Lord that we would go out that we would be a people that we would be a church um, uh, that runs counter cultural that uh, the marriages in this church um, would be a light in the darkness that they would truly be representative of what you have shown us uh, that you want marriage to look like and that marriage is best as um, I pray that we would show that um, and and uh, and I ask all of these things um, in Jesus name Amen